welcome to the Brad Worthy Culture Podcast, where leaders share how they've created a company so incredible their employees have to tell their friends about it. And now, here's your host, Jordan Peace. Welcome back to Brad Worthy Culture. This is your host, Jordan Peace, and today we're chatting with Mariah Steiger. Mariah is the Director of Global Research for Wellness and Resiliency at TaskUs. Her title matches up perfectly with the title of her dissertation, actually, which was Building a Resilient Workplace. So I definitely want to touch on that. One of Mariah's passions and initiatives is to continue pushing the limits of research in tech in order to improve employee care. Uh, so employee care, resiliency, it sounds like your passions are just right up our alley here at Bragworthy Culture. So we're excited to have you. Welcome, Mariah, to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me today. I'm really excited to talk about some of TaskUs initiatives, obviously, as it relates to resilience, since that's my specialization, but also just to talk about mental health in the workplace. Yeah, awesome. So tell us more about your title, because I read your title, and then I read what you were studying and what your dissertation was about. And I was like, did she write her own job description? It almost felt like you did. So what does the Director of Global Research for Wellness and Resiliency do? It's kind of a broad title and a broad scope. So originally when I entered the company, they were looking for somebody to develop out a a resiliency program. Okay. And I had a friend refer me into the company and thought I'd be a great fit because my specialization is research and program evaluation. There's a big difference between program evaluation and program development. Sure. What they actually found is that I didn't have quite the fit that they needed. So we brought in a VP of wellness who her entire scope is program development. So then knowing how to build out the wellness and resiliency initiatives. But first and foremost, we had to figure out what is resiliency? How do you define it? What do you do with it? How do we even develop constructs for a program? So that's where they literally created my position. Okay. So it turned into first and foremost that I was working collaboratively with her, looking at how do we define resilience within the company. Right. With that, like I said, what are the factors related to resilience to then build the program around? Mm -hmm. And then she was able to take that and use that into her training and build out an amazing program that we now offer to our employees, which is a 12-month program focusing on specific constructs of resiliency each month. Awesome. Well, I would just, because it's your area of expertise, because we're in the middle of a pandemic, so many reasons why, I would love for you to talk about resiliency. I was about to ask you, how is that defined by TaskUs? And then does that or does that not maybe differ from the broader definition in some way? Does it have your flavor to it potentially? So tell us about resiliency and kind of how you think about that topic. Yeah, absolutely. So I know it's a very broad concept. And even honestly, within our field, we can't even come to agreement on what it it actually means. Yeah, More or less our capability to adapt to adversities and bounce back is the most basic form of that. Yeah. Now, like I said, there's constructs related to it that like emotion regulation, things of those uh, terms that then help us along that path of resilience. So that's essentially what we're focused on in our work is that how do we use a preventative care approach to treating employees versus a reactive approach? Okay. I know that in and of itself is hard to define too, but essentially reactive care in a sense is that I'm in crisis or I'm I'm unable to adjust to my surroundings, my environment, my work. 
So now I need somebody to then sit with me and provide that one-to-one services, which is more your traditional form, right? Okay. Where I sit with a clinician, which could be, you know, a social worker, mm-hmm. clinical social worker, a psychologist, or even a licensed professional counselor. Okay. What we try to focus on though, is how do we teach people these skills of resilience before there is a problem? And that's what we're looking at, a preventative care model. And that is the purpose of having resiliency programs in the workplace. Mm. Now, there's not a clear-cut one for any one company. Okay. Because first and foremost, it starts with, like we said, how do you define resilience? And even then, it goes into two split topics. One of which, which is the process theory, which is the one that we use, meaning I can teach you the skills of resiliency. The second is the trait perspective, which means that you are biologically predispositioned and we can only have so much leeway, which then helps you determine how you structure your program. And I mean, even from the beginning of who do you look for for your hiring practices, if you're you're more from a trait model, you're going to hire based upon that versus from our perspective, anybody can be taught these skills. So that's when we look at that process theory of saying that It doesn't matter who you are or what place you're in. We can identify a baseline of where you're at and figure out how to improve your resiliency. Wow. That's so helpful because, you know, some of the things I've been hearing as I do the podcast or just, you know, talk to, not that you're in HR, but like talk to HR folks that are our clients typically. I hear a lot about, oh, we're trying to provide this for mental health and this and this and that. And there's all these services and things that all of which I'm, I'm sure are, are very helpful. But at the end of the day, it's, it, it comes down to an individual to sort of manage their health in every way, their physical health, their mental health, their emotional health. We can provide tools and resources, but there has to be this desire and the skill set to manage that on their own, right? Like we're, we're adults with volition and choice, right? So I'm fascinated by this because this is the first really tangible thing that I've heard about where it's like, oh, I can teach people the skills they need, right, to be successful really of their own accord once they have that skill set. So I'd love if you would just go ahead and dig in deeper to this topic. So let's say that I'm one of your employees and I just sort of, maybe I put my hand up, maybe I don't put my hand up, but it's it's noticed, right, that I'm just maybe a little burnout, maybe not as enthused as I was a while back about the job, about the company. Where do you begin with building the skill set necessary? Like, what are the things that I don't understand now that I need to understand potentially? Yeah. I mean, it's so for our purposes, it's not even a matter of we need to start at a specific beginning point, right? There's no right. starting point when we're talking about resilience necessarily. We're talking about that for one month, I can talk about social support. That's a component of resiliency that we tend to ignore. Mm. Um, We have, especially with even within a westernized view, an individualistic perspective of I can handle life, I can do it on my own, right? Totally, totally. Doesn't work so well. (laughs) (laughs) Even focusing on that for a month, right? Identifying who's your social support within the workplace. Who is it from your home environment? That there has to be a continuous sense of support or we had tend to have a breakdown or the inability to connect or communicate with others. Mm. It's something anybody can learn, right? It doesn't matter where you are kind of on that spectrum of I could be high in social support or it could be low, but ultimately we're teaching this necessity of it. Right. So when we're talking about developing baseline, we're talking about a whole different topic in all honesty. Yeah. We're talking about the concept of a lot of companies when they're looking at 
measuring the health of their employees or yeah. the well-being. They're looking from more of a survey approach. Yeah. I'll give you a survey asking you, are you happy in the company? You know, are you doing well? Do you like your leadership? It's honestly not sufficient. What we're looking at is then an administration of psychological assessments, non-diagnostic, because that's not appropriate for workplace surrounding, but we provide non-diagnostic psychological assessments that we administer quarterly across our company. And then we can identify some certain types of constructs that are of concern, which are ones that you typically see, higher rates of stress in the workplace, burnout, and then even compassion fatigue. And then that helps us define for their purposes, not just the resiliency program that maintains stable. That is a 12-month program that everyone is required to, within certain lines of business, complete weekly for one hour a week. Aside from that, when we're talking about the psychological assessments, those let us know which types of lines of business or campaigns or workflows are more problematic so that we can have extended services meet with leadership, brainstorm ideas and solutions for them specifically. So you think about in terms of some jobs like working with uh, direct communication with clients, Mm -hmm. that can be really emotionally taxing. Sure. Which is very different than when you need something along the lines of teaching and AI operations or IT work. You're not necessarily face-to-face with individuals, but it's highly cognitively taxing. Hmm. So that dictates what type of support you provide and what type of resources you extend that are unique to those specific lines of work. Hmm. Wow. So personalized, which is difficult to do at, at scale. But I, I think the way that we should talk about approaching it, one hour a week. So I was that that jumped out at me for sure. So when you rolled that out. What was the response of, hey, you're going to spend an hour a week really focused on growing in this way, a self-assessment, you know, all of these sorts of things? Was was it mostly positive or was it any like, hey, like that's my business, like back off? You know, like, what was their reaction? It was a mix until they understood what it was. So okay. there's a difference between I'm requiring you to process in session mm-hmm. what's, you know, what's going on, where your mind's at. That's not our goal. So our goal is it's a skill acquisition course, essentially. So we're getting you in there. We have a licensed professional who facilitates it. So Mm. you have clinicians on staff. And then with them, they're teaching a skill almost as an experiential game, right? So I'm going to, if we're on the concept of cognitive control and flexibility or emotion regulation, I'll start with emotion regulation. That one's an easy one. We can do something as simple as a game that I cut up a few cards. Each team has a certain amount of pieces of the card. Now you have negotiation to figure out how you're going to get the other pieces. Doesn't seem like it's on the lines of mental health, right? Right. But as you're processing through the game, I can tell you at random, hey, I know I told you I had 10 minutes, but you actually have two. I'm inciting panic and stress. And now your prefrontal that's in charge of that reasoning has shut down. And now you're in this panic mode to hurry up and scramble to get it. So everything that your team developed on a plan has collapsed. Right. So I'm talking through how do we gain back in control of that prefrontal mm-hmm. so that you're able to then connect with your plan, your team, and execute something that's that's going to come to an end product result that you want. Mm. Still applies to your work. Think about sure. high amounts of stress or deadlines. What if our deadlines change? Right. Now we're in a state of stress. So we're teaching skills that would normally be within a therapeutic setting, but are highly applicable to a work setting as well. Fascinating. 
have you seen that there are aspects like social support, for example, that maybe, you know, folks were sort of accidentally being successful in that area back when we were working together in person, right? And now there's necessary awareness of I need to seek social support because it's been taken away from me in that organic sense of I'm just around people. So conversations break out and support happens. Is that an aspect that has kind of played into these last, say, 18 months? A hundred percent. Yeah. This is something we actually explored in depth at the beginning of COVID. So like I said, my wheelhouse is research. Right. Not only did we move everybody work from home, we were one of the first companies, but we moved them within days. And mm. I mean, days of having them to switch their entire routines, figure out how they were going to work around family, right. how to allocate their time. So most people were really fixated on the, the need for flexibility in mm-hmm. their workflows. Mm-hmm. So yes, absolutely. They're trying to figure out how to care for children that can no longer go to school or elderly family that are now at home yeah. and don't have the extra support. But what people weren't attending to that we looked at more closely was the social aspect. Hmm. That They felt like that loss of connection with their teams, with their leaders, and we emphasized the need for communication. So our company pivoted to not only these breakout group rooms, but you sit with your team the entire day. So there's a dialogue of communication. It feels like there's a connection. And then you Hmm. allow that space and time just for your general water cooler talk. Yeah. That capability to disclose just how you're feeling, what are concerns. Wow. I think that's the major piece that's been missing over COVID. And yeah. when we're talking about working from a permanent work from home model in some companies, right. there has to be a shift to how do you allocate time that's just meant for conversation and connection. Mm. How did you guys facilitate that? Like, did you use Zoom or like Slack or like what was used to actually quote like, sit with each other throughout the day because my company does something really unique in that way. But I'd love to hear what you guys actually did for that. It's a compilation in all honesty. It's there's not one certain forum we use. It depends on what our clients are comfortable with us using. Okay. Whether or not we use internal tools, whether or not we use Zoom, Google Meets, things of that sort. So there's a variation across. Okay. So with any one of them, we just figured out what is the video, you know, platform for that so that sure. we have the capability to then put everybody on it in a collective space hmm. and had the support of our clients to do so. That's really interesting. So people will at times chit chat or like, do they sometimes break out into another room to have like a one-on-one conversation and then come back to that main room or like, you know, how do you go about doing that so that you can have that water cooler talk that, you know, isn't always in mass, Right. Yeah, absolutely. So there's different parts of that. First and foremost, we have a lot of team meetings set up where our our leads will just start by general conversation. How's everyone doing? You know, who has something interesting about themselves they want to share? How has your week been? It's more conversational. Sure. And that's with their entire team set in place, which is usually around 10 to 15 individuals. And then they have smaller conversations with just their direct leader, which all of our conversations, it's important for us to first start off at least five to 10 minutes of that, just as a check-in. Okay. Tell me something you're excited about for the week. Tell me something that you're concerned about, obviously, if it's still within an appropriate range of a work environment. Right. Aside from that, then we do do in larger groups, and I mean, more meeting size, Right. that we'll have breakout rooms. And our CEO is actually organized where during those breakout rooms, he'll give us a series of questions 
Hmm. that we all have to share with one another. So what's a hobby that you have? Yeah. You know, what's important to you in the way of value system, things of that sort that we can all share with one another. So we're getting to know one another other than just here's your face on a call or right. the other part of that, that, you know, here's an agenda. Let's go straight into it. I've never even met three people on the call with especially a global company. Right. <laughs> one other thing, I'm sorry to just drill you with questions, but I'm so, I'm just so fascinated with this topic and heck it's a podcast. That's what I'm supposed to do. Right. Um, compassion fatigue. You, you brought that up in passing. I, I can, I could piece together a definition just because I know those words and their meanings. Right. Yeah. But I'd love to hear more about kind of who is susceptible. Like, first of all, if you could define it, I think it would be helpful just in case, but then also who's most susceptible to that compassion fatigue. And like, what are some of the reasons why that happens to us? Yeah. I mean, honestly, you could probably get throw a shot in the dark and you'd get it. So compassion yeah. fatigue really is what it it's and you know, the statement right. itself. Right, right. That you feel exhausted, right? That you don't yeah. feel like you have that human connection with somebody. It's mm-hmm. difficult for you to relate and you're starting to lack empathy towards others. Right. So it's it's getting into a space where that's where you see a lot of confrontation between individuals or mm. misperceiving conversations, which happens a lot when we're on emails and text chat. Yeah. Sure. If you're walking in with a negative view of your day, your compassion satisfaction is already low. Mm. So just the way you end up interacting with others is impacted. And we have a way to measure that through our psychological assessments. Okay. And it's easy also to see. I mean, in all honesty, if you have your people on a call and one is, you know, what we say is causing more internal conflict within sure. the group. Sure you know, that person's compassion satisfaction is very low, which is moving in the space of compassion fatigue. Hmm. It can happen across any line of business. If you feel like you're overextended past your resources and then your capability to adapt to changes, which is part of resiliency, then you're going to move into that space of compassion fatigue. Yeah. Yeah. That, That makes perfect sense. I've always theorized that the, the 24 hour news cycle is actually hurting us on that front too, that there is just constantly bad news. Someone has died. There's been an accident. There's been a hurricane. There's been a, you know, murder. There's, there's been something all the time. And because of the globalization of news, we hear about it constantly, right? So how do you maintain compassion and empathy for other human beings? Like if you actually emotionally processed all the news you heard, you would just spend your whole day weeping, right? Like, so, you know, intentionally somehow filter out emotion that is really appropriate, you know, to life so that we can function, right? So I'm just curious, like, if from a personal standpoint, you know, not even like setting aside work, is that a phenomenon that is playing into the scenario with individuals, even as they come into work in the morning, you know, before they ever chat with anybody? Yes. Short answer. Absolutely. But we actually look at that as a shift in worldview Mm. where we find that individuals who are exposed to alarming content and those who watch news sources, you know, around the clock are more susceptible. You have a shift in your perception of safety. So that's already going to put you in a sense of paranoia and concern about anything you're coming across. So if I'm walking on the street, what's my potential of risk of harm? So. We actually focus on that even within the program itself on talking mm-hmm. about how do you develop a sense of control? What do you have control over which in the areas we don't? Right. We have control over ourselves, right? My interactions, what I do, how I communicate with others. 
Hmm. Anything outside of that and myself is outside of my control, but it doesn't mean we can't take steps to protect ourselves. Hmm. But we're pointing out that the things that they're seeing on a news source or extended beyond that of any type of negative information they're taking in is outside of themselves and it's outside Hmm. of their general ecosystem. So we talk about the difference between microsystem, my general environment, and the macrosystem, which is what they're seeing on a broader scale when we're talking about news sources globally. Wow. Yeah, such a perfect storm these last, you know, 16 months or so, right? And not only is there bad news, but a global pandemic, a lot of fear, you know, legitimate cause for concern. And, you know, and then, of course, all the conflict around those that want to be vaccinated and those that don't. And there's political implications and there's been a lot of social unrest. And then you add all of that to isolation and burnout. And I mean, wow. You know, I think what you're doing is so, so important, but I would imagine also quite challenging, right, for people to engage and believe that they will see improvement and that they, they're they going to be okay through through this. And But such important work. I, I really appreciate you just coming on and, and sharing some of this. This is fascinating stuff. Yeah. We want people to understand that it's okay to feel unrest, right? That's a normal human reaction to what's happening on a global scale right now. We're going to feel unsafe. There's going to be concerns. It's okay to have that. If you feel like it's exceeded your ability to function now, that's when we recommend reaching out for assistance. And that could be with a mental health professional. Uh, A lot of the companies that exist today offer EAP programs employee assistance programs. Mm -hmm. They can either designate certain types of resources to you, or they can sometimes themselves provide free sessions. For those who don't have access to EAP, I refer several individuals to Mm psychologytoday.com. It actually gives you a bio and you can put in your zip code and it will pull up all the individuals or clinicians in your area. It'll show whether or not they do in-person versus virtual. So whatever you're most comfortable with. Sure. And it even can, you can identify your presenting issue. No one person comes into therapy for the same thing, right? I can be coming in for interpersonal conflict with my family, anxiety, or just career growth. Mm. I mean, I'm a therapist and I see a therapist. Right, right. Yeah. So that in of itself tells you there doesn't have to be a problem or you don't have to wait for a problem to manifest to seek help. Yeah. But if you feel like you're at a place where you need resources, Mm. I recommend those two spaces, or there's tons of community resources. Even universities in the larger cities have health centers for the general community. So Mm. they provide resources for mental health on a sliding scale, anywhere from zero to $20 a session. Wow. That's fantastic. Last question, because I'm listening to you and both personally and for the sake of family and those that work with our company and so forth, I'm just thinking, I need to kind of keep Mariah in my loop and like, you know, maybe, maybe get some more, you know, education and information from you. And I'm sure some listeners are thinking the same thing. So how would we go about learning more from you and sort of setting our companies up to be successful in sort of training our people towards resiliency? Yeah. So there's not a general framework that fits any one company. And I just kind of wanted to circle back to even a statement you made prior, right? We have a large scale company and a lot of resources available to us. Yeah. We recognize that that's a barrier for a lot of smaller companies. Right. But we are actually actively working on a consulting company through Task Us 
that helps develop these mm. resiliency programs based off of even your headcount of your company, uh, what kind of resources are available even for geographical location-wise, since some are restricted more than others. Because we've worked on a global scale and we've worked with different size companies, we know the full gamut. Right. And then we have the resources available that we know others will not have access to a full research team or clinician sure. staffed on hand 24-7. That's not realistic. Right. So if companies are interested, I'd recommend reaching out to Task Us. And mm. if it's not even just the need for consulting right at this moment, if right. you're just wanting access to resources, myself and my VP are always extending a helping hand to any company who's wanting to support their anybody within their company. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, that that's the, the type of listeners we have, or the people that care about their employees and are trying to take care of them and and hopefully listening to this podcast to find out how to build culture in such a way where people have you know th- these sorts of resources and the and the psychological safety to come to work and feel at home right so yeah wow fascinating stuff i'd love to talk for another like three to four hours on this but, but i should probably let you go and if it makes sense maybe have you come back another time when Maybe the world has shifted a little bit and we can talk about that shift and what's next and and what the research is showing. But really, really interesting stuff. And I hope you enjoyed being on the podcast. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me today. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks again, Mariah. And thanks to all of our listeners. We'll catch you next week. And you can find Mariah Steiger on LinkedIn and maybe connect with her and see what she's been posting and so forth. Very interesting article that she posted or commented on recently about the nine to five workday. So check out that one and others. And thanks again for listening.